Welcome to the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. On this episode, we are discussing something that impacts up to one in five people, dyslexia. We're learning from Blythe Wood, director of the Columbus Children's Dyslexia Center. Ms. Wood, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I'd love to just start with first things first. You know, what is dyslexia? So according to the International Dyslexia Association and the definition that has been recently adopted by Ohio, uh, dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is neurobiological in origin. It is characterized by difficulties with accurate and fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. Uh, The difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological, that sound uh, component of language that is often expected in relation to other, um, sorry, often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities. Um, So a student identified with dyslexia will have an average or above average IQ. Um, Typically, it's not related to cognitive ability. And um, typically also, they are not students who have had effective classroom, like their classroom instruction has not been part of that uh, identification. So they've received the instruction that they need. It's not a result of lack of instruction. Um, Secondary consequences that you may see in an individual identified with dyslexia is deficits in reading comprehension, reduced reading experiences, weaknesses in the area of vocabulary, and weaknesses in the area of background knowledge. So the exact definition um, is uh, on IDAs, so that's the International Dyslexia Association's website, and also it's in the Ohio legislation, House Bill uh, 436. And so how can you kind of flesh that out for us, um, you know, for, for those of us who are parents or maybe not in the realm of education, practically speaking, how would you explain it? So one of the things that we kind of think of when we think of dyslexia is that it is a vision issue. So dyslexia is not related to vision at all. Um, people will say, oh, my child has dyslexia because they reverse letters and numbers. But um, honestly, I mean, that is not a sign of dyslexia. Reversals are actually a typical part of reading development. One of the things we have to realize is that reading is not a natural process for our brain. Our brain actually is not hardwired for the um, skill of reading. We are hardwired for oral language. And so what happens is through effective instruction, areas of our brain that are hardwired for language and other aspects like recognition of objects are actually what they called uh, neurorecycled for the aspect of reading. So there's an area of our brain that is used for object recognition and students actually with effective instruction begin to use that area of their brain for recognitions of letters and numbers. So that is why reversals are very common because an object, no matter which way you turn it, is always going to be the object that you see. But a letter, depending on how you turn it, for example, one we can visualize off the top of our head is an M and a W. When I flip that M and that W upside down, it is a totally different letter. So um, effective instruction helps the children learn that part of their brain or sorry, learn to use that part of their brain effectively for recognition of letters and numbers. Um, So 
that is what is huge. A lot of people think of with dyslexia, but really it is a weakness in the area of the phonological component of language, hearing the sounds. So we learn to read from speech to print. We have to have a, a oral language background in order to move to the print aspect. And so the sound component is what is the struggle for students identified with dyslexia. Letter sound correspondences, hearing the sounds and words, understanding that they can, um, sounds are made up of syllables and syllables are made up of sounds. Now, as a result, if they are not automatic with the phonological component of language, then that leads to like a snowball effect and impacts the other areas of reading, like comprehension and vocabulary, automatic word recognition, being able to look at a word and grasp it automatically. Um, so the misunderstanding in how our brain learns to read has created a misunderstanding in how we teach reading, but and also um, what dyslexia is. The human brain is not hardwired to read print. Correct. Our brains are basically hardwired for oral communication. Correct. So we lean cognitively, we lean into our abilities, um, our oral communication abilities in order to activate our brain to read. Correct. So oral language is the foundation of reading ability. And so your students who have strong oral language skills, that's going to impact their reading ability, which is why there's a big push for parents read to your children. Now, it's not so that they necessarily learn to read because they're not going to learn to read the words on a page on your lap but they're going to develop a strong background of vocabulary, background knowledge, and they're going to hear sounds and words and recognize that the words on the page have specific meanings. You said, you know, letter and number reversal is not necessarily a sign of dyslexia, although that is a common association. I think a lot of people have. What should be of concern to parents as they are helping their child begin to learn and further develop those literacy skills? So um, as far as like oral language is going to be huge, um, we want to, especially in this age of technology, we want to make sure we're having great discussions with our kids and we're talking with them and not at them. Um, and we're also using vocabulary that is appropriate for their age development, but also not beneath them. That is huge. Um, but one of the things we want to do is, if, you know, as parents are, are starting to read with their children and they're starting to see their child's skill levels, you know, there's going to be some look fors for them to see, okay, is this, is, does my student, is, are they developing in a way that they should in the area of reading? And some things that, you know, when we're asked, talking to parents about um, their child's developmental background in regards to uh, reading, we ask about speech. You know, was the child's speech delayed? When did they start speaking? Um, when they did start speaking, were they mixing up or omitting sounds and syllables or, or mixing up words? Um, I know it's cute for us as, you know, when the kids are growing up and they're saying things like pasquetti and or when they're saying cheeburger, that is cute. And, you know, we laugh about that, but those are things that we want to, to correct. So if a child says to you, I want some but I can't even say it right, but some paschetti for dinner, then you should say, oh, you want some spaghetti for dinner? 
so that they hear it appropriately um, or, you know, to kind of correct those without saying, no, you didn't say that right. But if those are kids that aren't making those corrections in their speech patterns, um, struggling with these sounds and language, those are things we look for. Letter recognition. You know, dyslexia can be recognized as early as age three, which is also some um, misunderstanding about. People don't realize that it can be recognized that early um, because typically we think of it being recognized when they get to school. Um, and even sometimes people will say not until first or second grade, but earlier than that, because uh, we're looking for that delay in the speech, the trouble with rhyming, mixing up those sounds, um, things as remembering information. If a child is struggling with recalling information, that could be a sign that there is a struggle there. Um, following directions. All of those are really early on signs that your child may be struggling with reading oral language if they're not, you know, as I mentioned before, that delay in speech. As they move into like elementary school and you're in the kindergarten and first grade, if they're slow in acquiring those letter sound correspondences, if they're struggling to sound out words, if they are having disfluent or choppy reading, um, guessing at words, if they come across a word that they're not familiar with, but they might see that it starts with a k sound and the word is kitten, but they say cat because they saw there was a cat in the picture above. They're filling in the blanks with what makes sense. Those are all signs of weak spelling skills. Um, if you have a student who's not hearing sounds and words. Um, again, word retrieval. Um, I feel that this is something that haunts, haunts me as I'm growing older is that word retrieval. But if you have a student who just struggles, they know what they want to say and you can see it on their face. They know what they want to say, but they just can't get it out. Mm. That is a sign that, um, you know, that my student might be struggling um, with reading and, and dyslexia. Now, it's not one of those. Some of those are, you know, it's a combination of all of those. It's not going to be one specific thing. Um, dyslexia manifests itself differently in different people. When I was studying autism, they, um, I had an individual say to me, when you see one person with autism, you just see one person with autism. And I agree mm -hmm. with that totally. Mm -hmm. But I feel that that's also for dyslexia because dyslexia can manifest itself um, more in fluency of write reading. It can manifest itself in fluency of writing. It can manifest itself in letter sound correspondences. And it can also manifest itself in oral language and word retrieval and understanding structure of language. Language. Also adding that as kids get older, some look for's are going to be children who are disfluent. Sometimes because of a child's background knowledge, they are able to make it through several years of school without being identified because they are able to read a passage, you know, um, silently and tell you what they read because they are able to fill in the blanks based on their background knowledge. Um, an example might be a student who loves dinosaurs. A student who loves dinosaurs could probably pick up any dinosaur book, regardless of the reading level, and be able to read it more successfully than a student who doesn't like dinosaurs at all, just because of the background knowledge they're applying. And so, you know, a lot of times students will make it to middle school or high school or even college. I just recently saw one I, a student identified in college without being identified because they have these great um, compensatory skills, including their background knowledge. Um, but that those are uh, disfluency is going to be in uh, look for um, 
taking more time because of this the, the disfluency um, students may take more time to um, read what you know their homework assignments and than their peers um, I've had students who've had to give up their uh, extracurricular activities because they didn't have time for their homework um, and they without the accommodations so there's there's a lot of also look for for middle school and beyond because some of those kids kind of I hate to say it but slip through the crack um, their oral language ability might not match their written language ability struggling with discriminating left and right um, and when you're looking at this too at all levels regardless of preschool through high school the other thing that is a connection there is is there a family history of reading struggles if there is a family history of reading struggles, that child has a higher um, probability of also having a, a deficit in the area of reading. So is dyslexia something that people are born with? There is a lot of research that says that there are, um, there are brain differences in a student with dyslexia, dyslexia as far as like gray matter and migrating etopias and all these things which I'm not like a, a specialty in those. Um, but one of the things that it's interesting about dyslexia is dyslexia can have, cannot be cured, but with remediation, students identified with dyslexia can learn to read. There will always be some sort of underlying issue. Typically it's in the area of reading fluency and spelling. Um, those are probably, I say, would say the two hardest areas to remediate in a student with dyslexia. But, um, you know, so there are brain differences in a typically developing reader and a student identified with dyslexia, but some of it, there is a, there's some research about, there is some genetic connection there. I want to hit pause on this episode for a minute to tell you about a free resource for parents of preschoolers and incoming kindergartners. Being ready for kindergarten involves much more than knowing letters and numbers. There are many skills educators look for as they determine a child's readiness for formal schooling. Download our free kindergarten readiness guide to read about each of these skill areas and ways to help your child grow in them. It's available in the show notes. Now back to our conversation. Why is it that up to one in five people at least here in the US, have a diagnosis of dyslexia? So that, that piece of information has been debated a lot recently in the dyslexia community. Um, one of the reasons why is because of just what you said right there is the nurture part or the instructional part. Um, so for years, there's been a disconnect between the science of education and actual educators. There's always been this kind of like, we're over here doing our research and we're over here in our classrooms and we're not meeting in the middle. And now that there's starting to be some common conversations between the, the researchers um, and the educators, we are learning that we were not necessarily providing the correct instruction as students were learning to read. And so the one in five is actually not a result necessarily of students who are genetically prone to dyslexia. It's more a result of a combination of nurturing environments, the impact of the um, 
the deficit in vocabulary that's often referred to as the 30 million word deficit. And there's also an impact on what some people will refer to as dysteachia or dyspedagogy, where it's because of the fact that we are not teaching a child appropriately how to read. And as a result, they do not pick up those skills. Um, I have had the uh, ability to see some of the impacts of correct instruction on students. Um, for example, I had a student who was identified as having a deficit in the area of basic reading in first grade, and we provided intense phonological um, awareness instruction for this student, intense phonics in an explicit, systematic manner. And when we retested that student for their third year evaluation or for the, yeah, their three-year evaluation in fourth grade, they no longer qualified for services. So then we have to ask ourselves, is this child dyslexic? Well, no, they're no longer qualifying for services. Or are they res the result of the lack of knowledge of the education system in which they were part of? Right. So it's, it's very like that number it can be inflated as a result of nurture or lack of appropriate instruction, which is mentioned in that definition of dyslexia. However, it's extremely hard to weed that out. Typically, we say students who maybe um, had an attendance issue and missed 60 days of school last year, they would not qualify as a student with dyslexia at a certain point in time because they have missed so much school. Mm. But let's say we provide them the explicit instruction and intense explicit instruction, and then they are not making growth, then we can go back and say that student has you know, dyslexia. It's it's something that we have to look at out of different lenses. Earlier, you mentioned a piece of legislation, and um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that. Well, so recently, um, House Bill 436 passed, um, and we refer to it as Connor's Odyssey in the dyslexia community because the two people who fought really hard to push this legislation through um, both have children named Connor who were impacted by dyslexia. And as a result, those parents have spent a majority of their personal time advocating for um, individuals with dyslexia. It has three components to it. One is professional development. The other is screening. And the third part is intervention. This year will actually be the rollout of the professional development requirements. So all teachers um, in grades K, uh, all teachers of grades kindergarten through third grade are required to participate in 18 hours of professional development re about dyslexia. The other thing that is part of that legislation, um, which I mentioned got pushed back a little bit, is the screening process. But um, in 23-24, all students in kindergarten through grades three are going to be required to be screened by the district for dyslexia. And the screeners may vary based on the district they're in, but there is a there will be a list of approved screeners. Um, we are, they are screening kindergarten through grade three because of the fact that we are, you know, we're, we don't want to miss those one, two, those kids in grades one, two, and three. 
in students in grades four through six, and actually any student and actually beyond grade four, um, they will be screened when the parent requests it or a teacher requests it and we have parent permission. So um, from that point forward, all kindergartners will be screened for dyslexia um, in the following school years and beyond. Again, using that list of approved screeners and they will be screened between the time of January of their kindergarten year and December of their first grade year. So they may not be kindergartners when they're screened. They may be first graders when they're screened. But the idea is we don't want to screen the kids too early. When a student enters kindergarten for the first time, the first you know several weeks, there's a lot going on. So we don't want to screen them right away because they need to be exposed to some of these skills that we are going to screen them on. So um, that's why the screening will take place between January of their kindergarten year and December of their first grade year. So if your child goes through kindergarten and is not screened, it might be happening in the fall, I would contact your school district and ask them, you know, when, when will you be screening my child? But after that 24, or actually during the 24, 25 school year, all kindergartners will be assessed. And then anybody who a parent requests it for will be assessed. And that wasn't already happening. Correct. That was not already happening. There were screeners in place that the state was doing, but they weren't directly looking for deficits in the phonological area of language. So when we think about kindergartners, when kindergartners come in, we are doing letter sounds, letter names, we're doing all that, but we were not necessarily doing, and I want when I say we, it's kind of a blanket statement, because some districts were doing this. We weren't assessing phonemic awareness and phonological awareness. We weren't assessing rapid naming. And those are all part of the screening, we, when we're, the screening that we do when we're looking for dyslexia for a student. Hmm. The other part that is, um, there's the intervention piece. So there are um, parts of the legislation that say, okay, it, what do we do if a kiddo flags? for dyslexia. So we're not automatically going to identify a student as dyslexic if they you know, flag on the screener. We're going to provide intense intervention um, in structured literacy that is focused on those five components of reading as identified by the research. And then we're going to reevaluate and determine, is that effective? If that's not effective, then we'll move forward possibly with an evaluation or change the intervention. So there's a series of steps that a district has will have in place as part of this um, process when students are identified as being weak in their um, the reading skills. Now, I'm curious, how does this screening and intervention process that you're describing differ from, let's say, a district that does map testing or some sort of regular in-house assessment to see the progression of students' reading abilities? So all of those, those testings like MAP and STAR are great assessments. However, they're missing one key point. They're not listening to the child. The teacher does not have the opportunity to sit across from the child and hear them producing the sounds or um, reading 
the passage out loud. And that gives us a lot of information about the uh, student's phonological processing, their rapid naming, are they disfluent? You know, um, those are the things that are missing from those assessments. So this, the screening requirements, um, and they're, again, they're not yet out there, so I'm not sure you know, what those assessments will be, but typically when we're looking at a student to determine if they um, would identify as a student with dyslexia, we need to hear them speak. We need to hear the sounds. We need to, to um, have them put syllables together, manipulate sounds and words, and make sure we're addressing that phonological awareness piece of language. And that's what's missing from those assessments. I don't know that all districts, districts should not throw out the map and the star testing that they're doing. They should add to it actually. And so I think this, this choice of screeners that will be put out by the Ohio Department of Education will give them another layer. Ms. Wood, thank you again for being with us today. Parents, thanks for listening in. Make sure to check out the resource list in this episode's notes. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast is published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to like and subscribe, and the latest episode will automatically appear in your preferred podcast library. 